You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Now, if you've ever spent any time in church, maybe when you were a kid, and maybe you don't remember a lot of those experiences, there's a few that really stand out. And today is a story that if you've ever spent any time in a Sunday school class as a child, you probably have heard the story of the three Jewish boys that were shown, uh, that were thrown in a furnace because they did not bow down. And their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. And you were like, you thought that was, that wasn't their name, by the way. You're like, oh, that's, that's. you're like, you're like, you know that story, but do you know the story? Do you know it beyond the flannel graph, beyond the, the, the picture and the cartoons? Do you really know the story behind the story. Today in chapter 3, we are going to dive into the story behind the story. And just a little rewind, we're walking through the first six chapters of Daniel. Last week, we wrapped up uh, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel interpreted a dream. But in chapter 1, Daniel and his boys, his friends, a group of men were abducted, kidnapped, and dragged from Israel or what became Israel, they were dragged from their homeland and they were taken to this new place and they were kidnapped, they were castrated, their names were changed, they were forced to study the occult and bow down to the bidding and serve the king in an evil kingdom that was considered one of the most fiercest cities in the world at its time known as Babylon. And it was so bad that it became the personification of evil for the rest of the Bible. Despite that it was unexpected, that it was extremely and incredibly difficult, knowing that God was in, the, in control of the whole thing, they thrived and they were promoted in the midst of this pain and struggle. They lived as if they knew the ending of the story. Today, we continue the series on how to thrive in a place where you feel like you don't belong. How to live with hope, humility, and wisdom in the midst of trials and suffering, never compromising. Last week, Daniel interpreted the dream of the king whose name was Nebuchadnezzar. He said, king, this is what it means. The king was blown away by the interpretation of that dream and gave Daniel a prominent position in Babylon. And then Daniel looked to his friends and said, guys, I'm going to the top, but I'm taking you with me. And then Daniel promoted his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to prominent places in the kingdom. But Nebuchadnezzar was still a crazy person. Though he shouted the praises of the God of Daniel, he was still not a follower of God. In fact, he not only followed idols and worshipped idols, but he also worshipped himself. And this idea of an idol got Nebuchadnezzar dreaming and thinking about an idol of himself. So this is where we pick it up, the self-obsessed, maniacal king, had a maniacal decree. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1 is where we pick it up. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. Now, first thing I want you to know is that it doesn't say what it was an idol of. A lot of times we have these images of this giant Nebuchadnezzar statue. We don't know what it looked like. The Bible does not say it was most likely a very common form of uh, idols in their time were obsolete. What is that? Well, the National Monument, you know, our, our Washington Monument, it's about six times taller than what Nebuchadnezzar built. But that is kind of very common in Babylonian culture. And it was 90, actually it was, um, it was uh, well, we say 90 feet tall but 90 feet wide, but actually a cubit is an elbow to the fingertips. So it was 90 of those, which on a small person is about a foot, and to a bigger person it could be a foot and a half. So that idol, that, that monument that he built was roughly 90 to 100 feet tall. And these pictures that I have here, that one on the far left, that's exactly 100 feet tall. The one here in the crowd, that's about 100 feet tall. And that is most likely similar to the image that Nebuchadnezzar built, and that was about the size that he had built it. So you got this idea, you got this picture, you got this idol. He set it up as an object of worship. He set it up as an object to declare his greatness. Many, we don't know if it was... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar on the top, many scholars believe it was Marduk, the idol that he worshipped on top. Regardless, it was an idol, and he was about to have the entire kingdom mandated, decreed, to bow down to it. Verse 2, he set it up, uh, 
in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon, that means in the desert, in just north of downtown Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the corporate, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Basically, it was a big corporate release. It was the release of the new iPhone 10. And, and he said, everybody who works for Apple must show up at this meeting and the big screen behind us is going to declare the praises of our new object of worship. I'm just kidding. But it was a corporate meeting. He had all of his officials, all his magistrates, all of his leaders. It was, this was corporate mandated meeting where we will all bow to the newest and greatest idol that Nebuchadnezzar has built. Now, it's important to also understand that in this story, Daniel isn't even mentioned. He's not here. He might have been there. We don't know. But he was not part of the crowd that was made to bow. Some scholars believe that he might have been actually kept in the city of Babylon to hold down the official business of the city while all of the rest of the affairs of Nebuchadnezzar and the other leaders were in the plains of Duran. And others believe that maybe he was out of the country doing official business. We don't know where he is, but he's not in chapter 3. He's not mentioned. There's only three guys that are mentioned. Daniel's telling the story, but he is not present at the event. Or he's not mentioned at the event. So here's the maniacal decree. Then a herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, which is really cool sounding. I have no idea what it is. The lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of God that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. So basically it says, guys, corporate, all you guys that work on the assembly line and all the foremen, all the managers, all the bosses, everybody, when you hear the music, bow or you're fired, literally. Now, it's important to understand here, too, that in between chapter 2 and chapter 3 are several years. And at the end of chapter 2, Daniel is promoted to a high level of official authority. And Daniel then promoted these three friends of his, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to a place of high authority. So at this corporate meeting, these three boys were not the assembly line Joes that they used to be years before. They were graduates of Babylon University in the top four of their class, and then they were promoted to a level of high position and importance in this evil kingdom, but yet they were serving and honoring God in their position. So at this big meeting of all these officials, they are some of the officials that were there. It is uh, believed that between chapter 2 and chapter 3, it could have been anywhere from 2 to 5 years have passed. At least 3 years have passed. Now you got to understand, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were abducted, abducted, kidnapped, castrated, forced into a culture they didn't want to live, and to study things they didn't believe, but yet God promoted them to a place of power and authority. And so for the last three years, they weren't living poor, they were living rich. The Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 2 that Daniel and the boys were not only given positions of authority, but they were also given possessions. They were given expenses. So Daniel and these guys, they were living very well now. So three years into this promotion, they have comfort. They, they don't have the menial responsibilities of a slave. They are now head over entire groups of people in whole regions and territories. These were uh, men that were now well positioned in places of authority and significance and lived a life of luxury. This is what I like about this. It's been a few years. They're doing good. They're comfortable. They're promoted. They're respected. They had authority. But our faith, needs to be shaken when we get comfortable. I think there are times when God, who's always in control, allows our faith to be tested and strengthened in times of comfort. And this is the problem with a lot of us. We're like, man, uh, things were just going well, right? I just got my head above the water financially. My marriage just seems to be leveling off. It seemed like things in my life were just starting to go well. I'm just starting to get comfortable, God. Why are you allowing my life to be shaken again? 
I think God allows us to be shaken intentionally so that we can understand that our trust and our provision is based upon him, not on ourselves. Now, I grew up uh, all over the place, and my mom is from, like, Kentucky, Tennessee, from up north, and we lived in Indiana. My mom's home cooking was as southern, uh, not southern, but it was as, as, um, as, as rich and creamy and great. I mean, northern cooking Comfort food is really thick in sauces and gravy and stuff. So she would make like chicken fried steak and chicken fried chicken and she would make skillet fried pork chops and it was like fried, fried, fried. And I don't know if you ever grew up in a house that did a lot of cooking, but we had these die cast skillets that were big and they were pretty thick. And my mom would just scoop the lard right out of that can. Remember the big lard cans that were white, but then it melted into this delicious crystal sea of, of just purity, Right. She would scoop out these massive scoops of lard, you know, Crisco oil or just the lard, the white, and it would melt and it would just crackle. And, and it was, and, and by the way, maybe you grew up this way. When it was over, you saved it, right? You put it in another container. You put it in a used coffee can. You know, we used, because that's the only thing that wouldn't melt the living daylights out of it, right? So you'd put it in a coffee can and then you'd scoop it out of that coffee can, which had the particles of everything you ever cooked, the chicken fried steak, the pork chops and the fried chicken and all that. So my mom would fill up the skillet with grease and oil, and she would take this, these chicken legs and these wings and these chicken breasts, and she would create this kind of batter out of eggs, and, and then she would take flour, and she would, you know, flop it around in the flour and the throw it in the skillet. You know, oh, the house would smell so wonderful. Just like, you know, even the burnt stuff smelled delicious because it's the grease and the chicken and all that. But after a while, that flour becomes all clumpy. It has these like balls of, of, uh, of the batter in it and pieces of chicken and everything. So, the, so what we would do is I love, she let me play in the kitchen with her by giving me the sifter. And the sifter, you know, you guys know what a sifter is. It's got a little basket looking thing on it. You put the flour chunks into it and then you shake the living daylights out of it and it snows fresh flour, right? And that flour felt so good. It was like, man, that's why I wanted to play with it because the flour was fun. You swift it. Who's ever played with sifted flour before or felt it? It's an amazing feeling. It's so light you can almost, it almost doesn't have a, a feeling, right? It's just so light and feathery. And I just remember, it's like sometimes I think what God does, he says your life gets so filled with stuff, clumps of comfort, that you have this, you know, pieces and parts of your life that you're living in and relying on that you become less and less affected because of all the stuff that's in your life. And what God does is he takes us and all of our stuff and he puts us in this sifting of a trial and of discomfort and of a situation that's a struggle. And then he shakes us and everything that can be shaken is shaken until all that's left is the pureness and the effectiveness of God's work in our lives. And this is exactly what God does. When we get comfortable, when we get fat in the successes of our seasons, God often sifts us to make us effective again. So there's a whole lot of shaking going on in some of your lives right now. Nebuchadnezzar mandated, listen to the music, you will bow. You will bow is what they were told. So the music plays. Daniel Chapter 3, verse 7, therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all of the nations of the peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of God that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So they all bow like robots. They all just want to get along. They all just want to do what everybody else to do, no waves. I don't even know what the song is. I don't even know what this idol is. But he says do it. Everybody else is doing it. We're going to do it. Why not? It doesn't hurt anything. Let's just bow. It was a great spectacle, thousands of people bowing. It was beautiful, except not everyone bowed. At this time, some astrologers, some translations say Chaldeans, uh, they were people who studied the stars, uh, they were magicians and pagans. Basically, sometime the astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews, they're talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some guys, Daniel say, by the way, these, in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and nobody could tell him what it was. So he said, all you wise guys are supposed to be smart. I'm going to kill you all. I'm going to cut you into pieces. I'm going to burn your house down. And so they started. Daniel stepped up and said, stop killing everybody. I can interpret the dream. 
Daniel, by doing that, asked the king to stop killing even all these evil pagans and astrologers and occult guys. This is the guys who, say, who were saved by Daniel are now attacking Daniel and his friends. The same guys. So it says in verse 9, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty had issued a decree. But, verse 12, there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Remember, he says, man, these are guys you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these aren't just regular assembly line guys. These are guys who you have set over areas. These are the foremans. These are the bosses. These are the employers. These are the guys who are in charge of the franchise. These are the ones who are the official magistrates over certain regions. This was not just some little guys who they didn't, you know, they, they weren't going to bow to the big guy. I'm down with the man. You know, these were men who were in places of influence. They had a lot more to lose. They had a lot more risk at play. He says, you know these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom these guys paid no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. For some reason, their knees don't work. I want you to know a little something about Daniel. As I told you before, Daniel's name in Hebrew means God is my judge. His name was changed when he moved forcibly to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar, which means prince of Baal or son of Satan, prince of Baal. Now, these three boys had Jewish names, and their names were changed too. Their Jewish names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And their names in their ancient language, in their homeland, Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. Mishael means the Lord is strong. And Azariah is the Lord is my helper, our help. And to make them forget their fathers and the God of their fathers, their names were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those three names are names of pagan deities. You will not have the Lord in your name. You will have the occult and pagan deities in your name to worship. So these were not their names. They said, you can change my name, but you can't change my heart. You can't change who God is in me. They made a monumental decision that day to not bow to that monument Faith was all they had. Everything was shaken. They were looking at losing everything. Their position, their possessions, their influence, their jobs. It wouldn't be back to the assembly line. It wouldn't be back to the low end of the, of the, uh, of the uh, hierarchy. It would be fired in a fiery furnace. It would be the death of them. They had to decide, what are we going to do? Are we going to compromise what we know? Are we going to do what everybody else does? Are we going to give in to the pressure? I mean, it's just the motions after all. We're senior leadership. People are looking at us. We don't want to cause any waves. We want to set a good example for the company. We want to set a good example for our school. We want to set a good example in our family. And besides, God knows our heart. What would be the problem? I mean, they don't have my heart, but they can, you know, have my knees for the next 20 minutes. This is true in our Babylon too. You're faced with the exact same decision at work, at school, in your family, peer pressure. Are you going to fit in or are you going to stand out and stand up? See, this is what you need to remember. Life is filled with defining moments that define our walk with God. And I think these defining moments are the things that separate the real deal from the posers, that separate the genuine from the fake. It is these defining moments that define our faith in God. You see, your faith will be tested. Your faith will be tested. And it's in those moments that expose whether you are a genuine or a copy. See, the reality is that Christianity is a call to be set apart, not to blend in. We're going to talk about this in our live teams this week, focusing in on 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 9, that God has called us to stand up, not to blend in. 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So when the heat is on and that moment comes and that defining moment is in front of you, you have to make a decision. You can declare God who is in me is greater than this circumstance, than this moment, than this position, than this situation, than my finances, than this pressure, than the opinions of others. God who is in me is greater. Life is filled with these defining moments. What will you do with them? Daniel 3.13 says, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. 
And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now you need to understand, Nebuchadnezzar knows who these guys are. He knows that they are followers of God. They've said so. But what's interesting about this is that he never really bought it until now. See, there's those that you have said, I'm a Christian, or yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, or man, I, I live for God, I go to church, but there's going to be moments where you're going, yeah, you and everybody else in Texas, you and everybody else who lives here, you, yeah, so is my family too, man. But there are going to be moments, if it wasn't clear before, it will be clear then. And at this moment, when that decision was made to not bow it was very clear. It says, now, it's true, I guess, huh? You really are a follower of that God of yours. Verse 15 says, now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down now and worship the image I made, then very good. He's saying, I'm going to give you another chance, guys. He says, I like you. If it was anybody else, I would have killed you. If it was anybody else, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But because I like you and because you've respected and honored the authority that I have, I'm going to give you another chance. And I'm sure the guys got together and said, all right, well, guys, what do you think? Well, you know, it's just, it's just for a few minutes. I mean, think about it. There's a, people rely on us. There's people that look up to us. We have people, we have family and friends now that we have to make decisions for. And, you know, why don't, why don't we just do it this one time? It's not a big, God knows our heart. And let's just go ahead and do it. But, he says, if you do not worship, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then he says, what God will save you and rescue you from my hand then? There's nothing that will save you. So they turned each other, they thought about it, they talked about it. It wouldn't be a big deal. I mean, God knows our heart. I mean, we would, I mean, what's the problem? And it says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. Now, what's interesting is about this, it didn't go, and then Shadrach says, you guys are weak. Hey, we ain't bound down for nobody. And they're like, what did you just say, man? We didn't agree to that. It didn't say Abednego said it. It said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied. See, they were in unity over this. They stood together. They did it together. This was not a solo thing. Their walk with God was not a solo walk with God. This is where we often fail. See, this is what's so powerful. Is that a big part of their courage is, was, was that they had each other. A lot of times we, don't, we say, well, we don't need church. I've got online church. I don't need a small group. I don't need my life team because I can just read the Bible study on my own. I don't need help with my house or my car because I can just Google it. Who needs any help at all? You just Google it and do it yourself. We have become a society and individuals of more and more isolation and solo mentality. But we cannot stand in a culture like Babylon without each other. We need each other. And that was part of their courage, part of their strength. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. We don't have to explain to you what we're doing. If you throw us into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. I want you to write this down. We don't need to defend ourselves when we take a stand for God. We don't need to have a post-war on Facebook. We don't need to write a letter and send a mass email out to all our family. We don't need to call everybody to explain our side of the story. When we do it God's way and we take a stand for God, I don't need to explain myself to you. You don't need to explain yourself to everybody around you when you make a stand for God. When we defend ourselves, we become judgmental towards others. We don't need to defend our position. We just need to stand in it and live it. You know, over the years of ministry, Nicole and I will have been married 25 years this week. And we, be yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> Tuesday is our anniversary. And so, happy anniversary. I love you. That's all you're getting. <laughs> 
If you'd like to give to the anniversary fund, please make a note on your... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, we've been married 25 years, and we actually began ministry the same year and the, the same month we got married. We have been in full-time ministry for 25 years. And I tell you, over the course of 25 years, you get burned once or twice. You get a little, you get singed. You, you feel the pressure of those around you. And you, you know what it's like to have people talk about you, talk against you. You know what it's like to have your words twisted and changed. And, and all of a sudden, you're hearing back that somebody said this about you and somebody said this. And there's something in you that just wants to get on Facebook real fast or get on email or back in the old days, telegraph everybody. That's the word I. That's it. And you just want to go and say, we, that's not us. That's me. We start getting defensive. We get angry. We get, uh, you know, oppositional. But you see, we made a decision. We never went on the defensive rampage because we knew who was in charge and that God would defend us and God would deal with it. And these guys knew it. They said, man, we don't have to explain this to you. We are just going to stand in what we know. God can deliver us. We like that verse, but we don't like verse 18. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. We must accept that God does not always intervene. This is big. This is big. There are, there are times where you, man, they could look back and see it. I mean, yes, these guys were in a place of position. They were in a place of wealth currently in their life. But looking back, they were abducted. They were physically altered. Their lives were turned upside down. They were ripped away from their families. Everything about the situation they were put in was one that nobody would want or desire for themselves. But in the face of all of that, they stood strong knowing God was good and God put them in a unique place of blessing. But it wasn't without trials that were never fixed. They never got parts back after they were castrated. They never got to see their, the only word from God they got was from Jeremiah that said, hey guys, don't worry, it's only going to last 70 years. They're like, we'll be dead. Their circumstance in their situation was not always an intervention. God does not always deliver us from the fire. Sometimes there's a purpose in the furnace. God does not guarantee freedom from suffering and trials in this life. And this is what I like to call the no matter what clause. You see, we like to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going to give you my life because you're going to fix my marriage. Jesus, I'm going to come to you because I know that in you, you have the power to heal and you're going to heal my body. Jesus, I'm going to come to you because my kids really need help. God, I'm coming to you because I'm feeling sad or depressed. God, I'm coming to you because my finances are hurting and I know you can fix them all. God, you are able to do it all. But the no matter what clause, it says, but even if you don't, I will still serve you even if you don't. I will not bow, even if it does not turn out good, even if I lose my job, even if I have no friends, even if my family won't talk to me, I will stand for God no matter what. Come rain or shine, I will serve the Lord. And that's where these guys were at. They were facing a, an incredibly difficult decision, knowing full well that God is able to deliver them. But in their heart, they knew that even if God does not intervene right now, and in this situation, even if I have to burn up to a singe and die in that furnace, I will not bow. We will not bow. You might think, well, man, I've lived a pure life. Man, I've never got drunk. I've never, you know, never been promiscuous. And I take a stand for God, and I, and I got fired. And now I'm broke, and they repossessed my car, and I'm losing my house. And God, I took a stand for you. What happened? Or you think, man, are you still going to serve him? 
Maybe you go to church every week and you pray, you know God's word, but no matter how much you pray and how many verses you study and how much you memorize, your kids still are not followers of God. And you think, God, how come? Why aren't my kids Christians? Why aren't they following God? I'm doing everything right. The question is, are you still going to follow him? Maybe you've served God faithfully and you help others and you care for others and all of a sudden the doctor gives you that that diagnosis or that phone call and you You pray and you pray and that healing doesn't come. Are you still going to follow the Lord? Because even if he does not, this is where our faith is lived out. The Apostle Paul, maybe you've heard of him. He wrote a third of the New Testament. He's the primary character in the New Testament after Jesus and the other 12 apostles. The Apostle Paul, man, this guy was a man of God. People walked through his shadow and they were healed. He would send off pieces of his clothing and it would heal people. He saw signs and wonders. But his life was filled with trials and persecution and pain. He was beaten endless amount of time, everywhere. We think of Paul as just like this stately old man in this, you know, Jesus clothes. They all look the same, right? Probably all these robes, turbans, you know. Then we think of Paul as just like maybe balding, gray-haired guy. You know, there's a part in the Bible where it says, man, I prayed three times for God to deliver me from this affliction, but it did not, it did not come, and I found that in my weakness I'm made strong. So he prayed for healing, whatever it was. I've heard people say, well, it was probably baldness. Says the guy who's bald, right? Like I prayed three times, God, Rogaine, somebody. It was way more than baldness. We have no idea. Some scholars say it was blindness. But I'll tell you what it could have been. It could have been anything because the story of Paul is one of, of, of pain. He was beaten everywhere he went. He was left for dead. He was mutilated. This is not a guy who just walked around with a good-looking smile and clean and tidy and said, be healed. Man, the guy probably walked with a limp. He probably had a messed up arm. He had scars all over his face and on his back. He was beaten to a pulp three times, left for dead many times. He was stoned nearly to death twice. He was shipwrecked three times. He was left homeless many nights, left naked out in the streets many nights. This was a man who wrote the Bible, was a man of God, a third of the New Testament. Man, we read his scriptures are encouraged, but he lived a life of pain and suffering. Sometimes he was arrested and God delivered him. And then he was arrested and his head was cut off and that's how his life was. He didn't die as a, as a happy old man. He died with his head being severed for his faith in Jesus. Life, realize that God doesn't always intervene. Paul took that stance that no matter what, I will look to something greater. He said this in Romans 5, what about our fires? We have our fires. What about our emotional fires? Loneliness, abandonment, depression, anxiety, discouragement. God, I'm praying, why won't you set me free? Why won't you remove this fire from me? Why don't you remove this burden from me? But even if you don't, I will still stand for you and not bow to the world or to the sin in my life. Romans 5, 1, he says, Paul says this. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that means through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous in Jesus. We have peace. I'm about to say peace. Because of our relationship with Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. He says, man, my boasting is not that someday in this life I'm going to be healed. It's not that I'm going to boast that someday in this life all my kids will serve Jesus. It's not that I boast in this life that someday I'm going to be promoted and running this company. It's not someday I'm going to boast because I'm going to have this house or this car. My circumstance will change. No, I boast in the hope of the glory of God. My boasting, my expectation, my hope is in the hope of heaven. Not the hope of this life in this world. He says, that's where I put my trust and that's where I get excited. And he says this, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that our suffering produces perseverance. And our perseverance produces character. 
and our character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. I like how the King James says it, and it says, and our hope, this hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Drop the mic. That is a drop the mic verse. No matter what pain, suffering, circumstance, my hope is in the glory of God and knowing that whatever I go through here is helping me to look more like God and even bring more hope in what is ahead. No matter what, we have this peace, he says, knowing that we have the glory of heaven and the fact that God is working in me endurance, faith, and hope. Said, man, the world needs to see this. That's how God gets even sometimes greater glory in our struggles than in our healing. Because what happens, we get healed. Man, that's a great story. Man, that's pretty cool. Man, that's amazing. Hey, let's all shout and praise the Lord. And then life goes on. But if you are living in a place of struggle and trial, who gets the glory every day of your life when you stand for him? Sometimes God gets more glory in our struggle than in our victories. We have this picture of David, a man of God. Man, he ran for his life, the majority of his life. He was a fugitive of another angry king. He wrote this in Psalm. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? See, those three young men stood for the Lord God and did not bow to the culture And to the peer pressure around them, they feared, respected, and trusted, and treasured God more than any person. So what are you afraid of losing if you take a stand? Daniel, he continues in verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. At first he was nice. I'm going to give you a second chance. Now he's furious. He was enraged, and he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers of the army to be tied up, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be thrown into the blazing furnace, hotter than usual, stronger knots than usual. So these men, the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothing, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and he was so angry he was so furious and the furnace was so hot it says that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Man they fell in the fire man. Can you feel the heat of this flame? Can you feel the heat of this fire? And then it says and these three men firmly tied fell or were tossed into this blazing furnace. They took a stand, and they were literally fired. I want you to write this down. Sometimes it gets hotter before it gets better. It wasn't a normal furnace. The furnace was cranked up. The heat was turned up. Just when you think things couldn't get worse. Maybe in a situation like that, your life, your family, your job, your health, just when you think Things couldn't get worse, they get worse. The heat gets more intense. The knots get tighter. Sometimes you get burned before it gets better. The heat is on. Maybe like them, you took a stand, and now you're starting to feel the the response at work, and the heat is turning up. Or maybe you prayed, and you had a breakthrough in a moment, but then all of a sudden, it just seems to be piling on and getting worse and worse. Are you in the furnace? What is your fire right now? Does it feel like it's just getting worse and worse? Well, sometimes it gets hotter before it gets better. And verse 18 is real. Sometimes God does not intervene and it will get worse and worse and worse, but our hope is in the glory of God. We see this millions of people around the world who take a stand for Jesus globally. Christians are put to death, tortured, And their lives are miserable because they took a stand for God. Sometimes, verse 18 is real, but sometimes God intervenes. And this is what happens. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked the advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? 
Certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. I want you to notice the fire burned away the things that bound them. And in the midst of that fire, they were unharmed. This is what's beautiful about the fires that we go through. Sometimes the fires in our life are actually the things that free us. The things that knot our lives and bind us in our life, there's clarity in the fire. If you've ever gone through a life-threatening disease, you get real clear on what's important, don't you? All those ropes that, that define what life is about, money and finances and, and activities and trips, all of a sudden, boom, they are burned up in the realization that all that matters is that wife of yours or that husband or those children. There's like crystal clarity in the midst of that fire. Those knots are burned off and the fire brings freedom. And in the fire, we see what is important and we see God better. He says, verse 25, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar was not a follower of God. He believed in many, many gods. He saw that fourth guy, and he says, I don't know what that is, but it's sure not a human being. It looks like a son of God, the King James says, or one of the sons of the gods. It looks like something divine. It looks like something out of this world. I don't know what it is, but there's four of them. Can you imagine that moment? You're in the fire. You're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're just, man, all of a sudden, the fire burns off. Man, this is cool. What's it? Look at this. You know, they got these trail of fires. Look, I'm running real fast. You know, they're just having a, man, this is crazy, dude. And all of a sudden, hey, what's your name? Hi, I'm Yeshua. How are you? Yeshua? I'm Yeshua. You'll know me later. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out! Come here! Get out of here! So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the royal advisors, they crowded around them, and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed, and their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire, on them. They didn't even smell like they had been in the fire. And I love this picture here. I want to be like that. That when I go through the fire, I don't want to smell like I've been in the fire. I don't want the fire to leave its remnant on me. See, some people that go through the fire, yeah, their character's stronger, but they come out bitter. They come out angry. Yes, I'm stronger, but I don't trust people anymore. Yes, I've been burned and I made it out alive, but I'm not letting anybody else burn me again. So the walls go up and that fire that they went through leaves them slightly burned and singed and the smell of their hurt and their pain is on them wherever they go. But I love this picture. They come out of the fire and there's not even a smell of of fire or burn or smoke on them. I don't want to smell like the smoke that burned me. I will forgive. I will not hold that against those that hurt me or threw me or caused me to go through that pain. I love that picture here. Verse 25, he says, look, these four men walking around on the fire unarmed or unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of God. I tell you, we know who it was. That's a Christophany. A Christophany is a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. And what we saw there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was not just some angels. Some people think it might be an angel, but... I believe as a Christophany, that was the son of God, Jesus Christ, also known as Yeshua HaMashiach, that he was the Messiah, the one that Israel was looking for. These three men had a conversation with the deliverer, the redeemer himself in the midst of that fire. And I want you to know this, that when God does intervene, it always points to Jesus. There are moments when God does step in, when God does heal us, when God does fix and restore our life and our marriage or a situation. And when that does happen, there's only one who's to get the glory. There's only one. This is one of those moments, the moments that we hang our hat on. 
and the moments that we look back at, that when we remember, yeah, I may be going through the fire now, but, man, I remember that fire I was in before. And there's one who is there with me, and I want to tell you who that was. He's able to do it again. But even if he doesn't, let me tell you a story of a time when he did. You see, it all goes back to the fourth man. We have those moments. It all goes back to Jesus. Jesus, you did this. You were there with me in the midst of that furnace. See, we may not always have intervention in this life, but I want to tell you something that every one of us has been rescued from a furnace today. See, there's a very real furnace, a fire of eternal judgment. That the great Redeemer Jesus himself stepped into the fires of our Babylon world in this life, lived a perfect, sinless life, carried a cross to Calvary, was crucified for our sins, was put to death, buried, and rose again in declaration that anyone who comes after me, if you would deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me, you can have and know redemption in me. The cross is your deliverance from the fire. See, the trials of this life, we might have deliverance from, we might not. But there's the greatest trial of life, our eternal salvation that has been won victoriously. And you don't have to endure that fire. The reality of hell is described in the Bible is there. Jesus delivered us from the flames of judgment if you will turn to him. Daniel 3, 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has set his angel, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. I don't know what it was. It was something divine. And they trusted in him and defied the king's command, and they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Now, by the way, any time the government gets involved in mandated religion, it always goes bad. This is a great example. This was not the decree of Daniel. This was not a decree of God. This was a decree of a man who decided that you were going to be a follower of God, even if you didn't want to be. Here's the problem. We rely upon government to fix our country's and our nation's woes. We want our government to somehow mandate Christianity or Christian laws and religion, and we want Let me tell you something. Anytime you look at history, anytime government, anytime politics gets entangled into the affairs of religion, it always ends up badly because it is filled with men and women whose hearts, just like yours and mine, have sin problems and have deception and selfishness and corruption in our hearts. We are to serve and live for God and God alone, regardless of what our government says, regardless of what our president says, regardless of what nation or what country we live in. It doesn't matter what kind of persecution or oppression we live in. There is a God alone who I will serve. Don't look to government to give you that courage. He says, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They took a stand. God delivered. And that day they were promoted. The faith to obey God in the big trials is often prepared in advance by being obedient in the lesser trials. We find that in chapter 1, they took a stand in the cafeteria. But in chapter 2, they took a stand in front of the world. So I have a few questions for you today as we leave. I want you to ponder. Are you willing to bow when the pressure is on or will you stand? Are you willing to go through the fire? If God does not deliver you, Will you keep serving him? And if, and I love this part, if you're going through a fire, what fire are you going through? Because Jesus is there. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you so much for your word that brings us such hope and encouragement. God, I pray that there are those in this room that are in the middle of a fire right now. They're going through a trial in their marriage, at their job, with their family, at school. God, I believe there are those that are about to face a trial. And, and God, they see it. And that, this, that moment of decision is in front of them. And they are, are, are trying to decide what they will do. 
Will they take a stand or will they blend in? God, will they live for you or they bow to the pressure of those around them? God, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will give us the courage and the strength to stand when no one else is standing. God, we may not have our friends around us, God, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But God, I pray that you'd help us to know we are not alone. But if we go to work and we may feel like we're the only one at work living for God, that we will stand. And God, if there's anyone here that's going through the fire of health problems or marital problems, God, we just pray, God, you are able to deliver us. God, you are able to bring healing. God, you are able to restore God, you are able to bring peace and life to a home and to a marriage. God, you are able. So, God, we ask that you would. We ask that you would heal them, that you would set them free, that you would bring peace to that home and to that marriage and to that place at work and to their finances. God, we pray deliverance, God, upon those. But, God, even if you don't, God, we will serve you. And, God, we will live for you. God, let that be the heart of your people today. God, we pray for your healing, for your deliverance, and for your hope. But God, know that our true hope is in the hope of glory. God, I pray for those here in this room that have before them the furnace of eternal judgment. There are many of you here that are not followers of Jesus Christ. And when this life is over, As described in the Bible, there is a place of judgment for those apart from Christ. For we are born with sin, and our best efforts can't fix it. We can only be made right by being made alive in Jesus. So, Father, as we look at the furnace of eternal judgment, God, I pray that we would be able to see the cross of Jesus Christ that sets us free from the furnace that's you this morning and say, you know what? That's me. And I want to make a decision for Jesus today. That I just want to lead you in a prayer. And you just pray this in your own words after me, any way you want to say it. But let's just pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Thank you for your hope and your grace to forgive me. Teach me how to live for you and to walk with you. Fill me with your spirit. No matter what, I will live for you. No matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.